Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Near circle, he scores! From thinking he'd be in the press box this morning to scoring the game-tying goal in the third period, Brock Besser fires it past Karel Vamelka. Very important game for me and my family and you know one I had on the calendar. And you know, When you come in and you're not on the whiteboard, it, it hurt hard and hurt bad. And Besser's representatives have given, been given permission to talk to other teams. You're asking me dumb questions, guys. Really dumb questions, Jesus. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Uh, A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruffin in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, I mentioned we are coming to you from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell them more about Kintec. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. That Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Okay, what's happening on the program, you may be asking. We have a very big show ahead. We are doing... Uh, so many giveaways this week on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're finally becoming a real AM radio show. Morning mm. drive, zoo crew, crazy, wacky hijinks, and giveaways. A destination show for giveaways. It's true. We're And I'm not going to tell you what the giveaways are right now. I'm going to do that at 6.30. But just know uh, it involves not just tickets like we've been doing for Canucks mm-hmm. games for the last little while. There's something else on the horizon as well. I'll mention all that at 6.30, but right I'll, now... I'll, I'll give a little give a little uh, clue. A little tease? Vroom, vroom. Uh, that was more than a clue. That mm-hmm. was a sound. That was a, Yeah, that was a sound. Yeah, it's very good. Okay, uh, we'll do that at 6.30. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Nick Shook is going to be our Monday morning quarterback today. He's feeling... He's like the backup quarterback for Mike Tannier. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Nick Shook from NFL.com. Is, is he Brock Purdy? No, because Brock Purdy was the third stringer. Oh, right. <laughs> Technically, okay. the backup got hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good segue, though. Well done. We can talk to Nick at 7 o'clock about, so you got Jimmy Garoppolo, now done for the year, in San Francisco. Uh, Matt Stafford, who was already out, ruled out for the year mm-hmm. uh, in Los Angeles. And now I'm looking at this quarterback landscape, and I'm like, I think Geno Smith might be the second best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, Who's well, honestly, with all the injuries, I think Russell Wilson might be number three. Right, he's right there, and then Brock <laughs> Purdy's number four. So we'll talk about uh, we'll talk to Nick Shook from NFL.com about all this at seven o'clock. Well, that's when we'll do our NFL story. Seven thirty, Chris Faber, Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation podcast. We will talk Canucks with Fabes, but we'll also get a check in on the American Hockey League team in Abbotsford. Uh, ask how Jack Rathbone is doing, Vasily Podkolzin. Uh, but we'll obviously do some big parent club stuff as well. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but it was another eventful weekend for the Vancouver Canucks. Speaking of those Vancouver Canucks, 8 o'clock iMac is going to join us to talk about uh, what happened on the weekend, both on the ice, a, a scintillating 3-2 overtime win over the Arizona Coyotes, and then what happened off the ice with the Brock Besser situation. Uh, there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot of wrinkles. None of them good. 
for being honest. I don't think just before we get into what happened, is it fair to say that it was not a weekend of good looks for the Vancouver Canucks? I don't know. A three two win over the Coyotes. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Canucks Habs tonight at seven thirty, World Cup, Croatia, Japan, Korea, Brazil, Monday night football, Saints, Bucks, Laddie. Let's tell everyone what happened over the weekend. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Miss that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks win! Canucks win! That's the most amount of enthusiasm I could muster on that one. But they did win. Uh, Bo Horvat continued his assault. Yes, assault on the NHL scoring leaders list. Second power play goal of the game with 51 seconds left. Canucks win 3-2 against the Coyotes in overtime on Saturday night at Hockey Fights Cancer Night uh, in in Vancouver. That becomes a relevant story later on here. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, We should also mention Brock Besser, speaking of stories that are going to be relevant in a moment here. Also scored Hughes and Petey, picked up some points. Spencer Martin gets the win, and this is, of course, after we were off the air when the Demko news came down as well, right, on Friday. So this is without life now, without Thatcher Demko, as he is out six weeks with a lower body injury. So say this, uh, just in terms of surface-level stuff, the Canucks snapped their three-game losing skid. They got a win at home against the Coyotes. Horvat continued to score goals, but I almost feel like we're burying the lead by doing the gamer. However... Is there anything else you'd like to add on the actual on-ice product? Well, I just think looking at the playoff standings, the Canucks had, for a brief moment, climbed to within one point of a wild-card spot. Now, two things people were saying. they got to keep winning. They haven't really. Um, they, They had two bad losses to Florida and Washington last week. And, yeah, they get the win over Arizona. But it's not all that a convincing win. I don't think the fans at Rogers Arena... We're sitting there going, wow, this is this is a great game. This is amazing hockey being played. The Canucks, they're back, baby. Um, they've also lost a lot of ground in that wildcard race. Oddly enough, the second wildcard team right now is Colorado, the defending Stanley Cup champs, who we saw when the Canucks played there um, a little while ago. Yeah. They got a lot of injuries right now. They're not they're not fully powered right now and they've been scuffling a tiny little bit Seattle although they lost the other day they are on fire overall 7-2 and 1 in their last 10 they've got 10 more points than the Canucks the Kings have 7 more points the Oilers have started to win some games and the team I think that maybe people in Vancouver haven't paid all that much attention to because of the team they are that team has started to win some games, and that is the Minnesota Wild. They are getting hot. And that's the reason Colorado is in a wild card spot, because Minnesota has passed Colorado in the Central Division. So the Canucks are losing ground. They've lost their starting goalie, Thatcher Demko, for a month and a half. The team continues to just create these stories yes. that are not related to the actual on-ice product. And it screams of, if we're not going to use the word dysfunction, then at the very least, like misalignment. Is that a good, I think Drance has been using that word a lot. Like nobody's nobody's on the same page. It seems to be just a bunch of individuals doing jobs. And we'll get into this Brock Besser story, but Bruce Boudreaux, after 
the game against the Coyotes said that he didn't know that he was ho- it was hockey fights cancer night. Correct. Okay, he didn't know he that. He did not know that. That's what he said. He did not know. And yet, he scratched he, he scratched Brock Besser, or he he originally was going to do that. Now, to me, that's either really callous. Yeah, I mean, if he did know about it, Cold if he blooded. did know about it, if he's if he if he's not telling the truth that he didn't know about it, it's callous and wow, like, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that Brock deserved to be in all the games, but of all the games that you were going to scratch him, that, but if, and, and if he, and if he truly didn't know, hey, someone in the organization should be maybe like, uh, hey, uh, Bruce, mm-hmm. um, does anyone in the organization actually have Bruce Boudreaux's contact information? Because, like, they I don't a- even, I, they could ask me, I can give it to them. Like, yeah, like, I've, I've I actually, got, I I've, I've actually got his number. Like, oh, I, we don't right. text, but, like, I, I, I've we got do. his number. Yeah, 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 no, 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 with uh, Bruce and I. No, but, but I, Bruce, Bruce and I are text buddies. Oh, you're text buddies? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. At 3 a.m. every morning, I sent him a like, hello, Bruce text. He never like, responded, but. You think, you think someone in the organization would be like, hey, Bruce, uh, it's Hockey Fights Cancer Night, and I'm, I don't know if you know this. I, I think you should because you were going through it a lot last night, but Brock Besser's dad passed away from cancer just in May. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe uh, don't scratch him for this game. Right. At any rate, at any rate it just uh, – it is one more – like the, the, the other thing that I would say in the, the communications department the other, the other day, I, and I couldn't believe this happened. They're honoring Roberto Luongo and the Sedins – in the game against the Florida Panthers. And boy, did the team honor him with that terrific performance against mm-hmm. the Panthers. But they decide to make it that day when they will announce Luongo going into the ring of honor. Correct. Now, this leaves another two options. <laughs> like, they either didn't know or didn't have the foresight to understand that that would be a controversial decision. Right. Or... um. They did know, and they just did it anyway, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you've got this night where you're going to be honoring the Sedins and Luongo, and yet you create this debate in town and this feeling that, hey, that's actually a slap in the face, not an honor, to the point that Luongo has to address the crowd about it. Yep. On his night that he's being honored for going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, he has to say, hey, guys, don't worry about it. I'm not that upset about it. Yeah. It's just one thing after the other where is it the, the the hugest deal in the world? No, but you add these things up and it just goes it it seems like this is an organization that is scuffling along and not on the same page in any regard. Right. So, um as the Besser situation unfolded on Saturday and it was awfully interesting from a sort of non-emotional attachment. And don't get me wrong, the people involved were probably furious about this. But from the outside looking in, uh, a really fascinating run-up and then aftermath of the game. So it's Saturday afternoon, and Besser realizes that he's going to be healthy scratched in this game. Boudreaux comes out publicly, talks about the tough love treatment and how that, you know, it comes back to the same things. Players need to be held accountable, and we have seen this in the past with scratching veterans like Connor Garland, to a lesser degree, Kuzmenko. You know, they have made these motions before. And Besser's play, especially a five-on-five, probably dictated that, all right, you're not necessarily earning your keep in this lineup. Dakota Joshua, later that day, comes down with an injury that, lo and behold, reverses the entire thing. 
Besser then draws back into the lineup for Hockey Fights Cancer Night at Rogers Arena. Uh, in warm-ups, is wearing a jersey emblazoned with his dad's name on the back of it. Goes out and scores a goal. Talks about the emotional impact afterwards. Now, uh, you brought up this sort of series of events or continual instances where it feels like the club is just not a cohesive unit, not mm-hmm. aligned, maybe not communicating properly. If you're a cynic, you're looking at this and saying it's all intentional. And if you are a cynic, I'm saying I think you're connecting way too many dots here. Yeah. Right? Like, there's good reporting out there, especially from Dolly Wall and Drance at The Athletic, saying it might look like A had something to do with B in this instance. So A, of course, this being the Brock Bester healthy scratch. And then B, which we haven't got to yet, was Elliot Friedman's report that the Canucks have allowed Bester's camp to go start looking for a trade. Because a lot of people were looking at that and saying, okay, well, this is the first step in a divorce. They just made it public and decided yeah. to throw down the gauntlet. It doesn't sound like that was the case. I know, I know everyone's probably listening to me right now. And they're like, Halford, don't be an idiot. Of course, it was one was tied into the other. No, I but wouldn't I be genuinely... surprised if they've been talking about the Besser situation behind the scenes for quite a while now. Yep. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to move him in the offseason. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to move Garland, uh, a bunch of guys. Sure. They just didn't like the return. Yeah, and you look at it and you're saying, okay, well, what about the actual events on Saturday night? And, you know, again, Drance and Dollywell had a really good piece up at The Athletic where they kind of dug into this a little bit, and I tend to agree with what they're saying just because it makes the most sense. I feel like Boudreaux is so siloed off into his own little world of trying to just coach game-to-game and survive game-to-game and to squeeze out points and to maximize everything. And I don't think it's in his behavior or repertoire to publicly, I mean, basically humiliate no. a guy like this, yeah. right? I think. About and, something that's so serious too, right? Yeah. I, 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 I would sooner think that this is a matter of a communication breakdown. Screw up. As opposed to. Bruce Boudreaux of yeah. all NHL head coaches being a complete, like, callous jerk. But what it doesn't do is lessen the story any or take away from the impact of it. I was driving in this morning listening to another program, and they were this was one of the central stories of the weekend. What is going on in Vancouver? Do we have the fridge audio at the ready there, laddie? So this was the story. Again, consider the timeline for people that just, like, tuned in at 4 o'clock. Or 7 o'clock, whatever the case, on a Saturday night. They find out that Besser was supposed to be healthy scratched. Then he wasn't. Then he got in the lineup. And there's the whole backdrop of the hockey fights cancer. And then at the intermission, Friedge goes out and drops this on the Vancouver market. The team's not commenting and his representatives aren't commenting. But from what we understand, uh, Besser's representatives have been given permission to talk to other teams about a potential move. Now, Besser has been struggling. Obviously, he's got to play better. But I think there's coming to a realization here that maybe it's time to explore this. So I don't know where it's going to go, but I do think Besser's representatives have permission to talk to other teams. Although at this point in time, the team and the agents have not confirmed. So, it, I mean, look, all signs from the last 48 hours point towards a potentially non-amicable resolution between the two. But it definitely seems as though that the goal here, maybe for all parties involved, is to have Brock Besser playing hockey somewhere else. I think it's interesting that they've granted permission for his agent to seek trades because usually what that means is that the executive group has already tried to seek a trade and yep. they haven't been successful. Yep. And they want that agent to go out there and talk up some other teams, sell his client essentially yep. for them 
Um, it doesn't speak highly of the potential return for the Canucks. And we've talked about this before. And we've had these debates on the show of, you know, if some if, if someone were to come, like I'm thinking a team like Columbus. Let's say it's Columbus. Okay. And they would say, uh, we will give you nothing for <laughs> – Sorry, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> uh, we will give you nothing. I give you nothing. For Brock Besser, Connor Garland, and we'll take Tanner Pearson. I would want you, all your wing, you, I want all your overpaid wingers. Give me all of them. No, would <laughs> would, would, them. would you do it? Because yes. listen, I think when you look back on it, there there would be some people that'd be like, yeah, sure, let's just clear the cap space, right? Like, like, sure, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and negotiate for a third or fourth fourth round pick. Like, let's just do it. Let's just clear twelve million in cap space. Boom, you you get your bunch of wingers. Like, good luck with them. Um. It's just it just goes to show you first of all how the market has changed because of the flat cap, but also just the um, the current stock price, if you will, for Brock Besser, Connor Garland, and Tanner Pearson. Now, mm-hmm. Tanner Pearson will take out of the equation, but let's consider Connor Garland and Brock Besser. Connor Garland was supposed to be the prize acquisition in the big Oliver Ekman Larson trade. Yeah. You were going to gamble on Ekman Larson and hope that. He could rejuvenate his career in Vancouver. But Connor Garland was the guy that you're like, oh, this guy's young and he can score goals. He's an exciting player. He signed him And an he's having a terrible season and he is often, or not often, but he's been a healthy scratch. Bruce Boudreau does not like him. His market value is not high right now. Yep. Brock Besser was, in reality, the first sign of hope in the Canucks retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. There was genuine excitement about this guy, what, five years ago? When was it? 2016, 2017, five years ago. Five, six years ago, Mm -hmm. right? Like he was going to be the first piece of the rebuild. And because he was the first piece, there was maybe a little more excitement than there should have been for a goal-scoring winger. But he was a young Guy that that like the fan base loved. He's he could absolutely finalist. He could absolutely rip the puck. He had this confidence. He had this swagger about him. And now, you know, five or six years as a Canuck, and it's and obviously he's gone through some things in life too, right? Like he's gotten older, and as we all get older, we go through things in life that some of them are good and some of them are not so good. But he's at this point right now where his agent. Has to go out there and try and help the Canucks facilitate facilitate some sort of move because the only conclusion you can draw is that the interest in him in him isn't off the charts. He's a distressed asset, right? I mean, that's the phrase that you keep seeing thrown around, and part of it has to do with the fact that uh, he makes six point six million a year for the next three years. By the way, don't forget the Canucks signed him to an extension six months ago, so there's that part of it. I think there's a if you're a team that's inquiring or his having interest sent your way from Hankinson and, and Octagon, you're probably saying, well, you're going to have to t- weave a pretty nice tale for me here, Ben. You're going to have to tell me something yeah. pretty remarkable because... Or, you, or you're, you're going to be like, okay, now you go back to the Canucks and get them to throw in a sweetener or something yeah. like that, right? And like, that's, yeah, and that's, where, and that's what you don't want to get into if you're the Canucks. Now... You and I have gone back and forth on this, and I know I understand the validity of the argument that signing Besser to the extension when they did, which was July 1, gave cost certainty. My argument to that is that it's crappy cost certainty. Is it the co- yeah, yeah. 
Look, if you're yep. put it this way, if in it De- is right now, if in December where we are right now, December fifth, you're in giveaway mode, like first come first serve, take a raffle ticket, winner gets Besser for free at the end of it. Then why wouldn't you have done that back in July? How much could have fundamentally changed in six months? Three of which weren't on the ice. Like how much, honestly? And if 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 you're saying that we went from this guy being one of our more highly paid forwards on a multi-year extension to we just got to get rid of him. I really question what's going on in terms of long-term outlook, long-term vision, planning. Don't you think it's possible that they wanted uh, Brock Besser, they wanted to give Brock Besser the opportunity to revive his his career? Because remember last season, right? Didn't have a very good season. Injuries, of course, have been an issue for Brock for a while. But also off the ice, it was very tough. And there was optimism that Besser, on, he, and remember, he was going to play on the quote-unquote top line with JT Miller and at the time Tanner Pearson. But he, he was going to give be given an opportunity to get back to his goal-scoring ways. He didn't have the distractions off the ice as much as he did I mean, I, I'm not saying that he was able to wash his hands completely or wash his yeah. mind completely of of the passing of his father, but there was that feeling that he was going to go into training camp this season and things were going to be better. I think they've to, to somehow your question, been on the ice at least worse. To answer your question, maybe he deserved the opportunity and maybe given all of his personal hardships, uh, he was owed that. But it was a really expensive opportunity cost for the club. Yeah. Really expensive. And you know what? Quite honestly, I think maybe a conversation could have been had where it's like, we really respect what you've done and what you've gone through. But we, unfortunately, are in a position where we can't offer you a show-me contract. Don't you think that the Canucks have been just overly... Um, hesitant to move players because they yes, don't like they've been the, overly no, hesitant no, no. to move. <laughs> no, 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 sure. because they don't like the return. They're like, well, we're not going to do that because we don't like the return. We don't want to. We don't want to be seen, or we don't. We feel that this player is worth more, and maybe if we hold on to this player a little bit more, the market for scoring wingers, for example, will recover. So we'll just kick the can down the road as we do in Vancouver, and maybe. Hopefully, things will improve. Maybe that's part of the reason for the hesitancy, sure. Like, it could be that they just don't like the deals that are out there. I'm but... not endorsing it, by the way. I'm not no, endorsing that philosophy. I think if you're going to make a move, just make a move and just move on. Let's let's go. Like, this, yeah. te- this team needs change. This team needs significant change. The longer this goes along, the more, and it's shocking that I'm coming to this realization, but the more I think I'm coming to the realization that Somewhere at some level of this group, they needed proof of concept to go out and finally orchestrate all these moves. And by proof proof of concept, I mean they needed to play out. So it's like, you see that product on the ice right now? Now you're seeing it. That's what we thought it was all along. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to go out and we're going to do the things we wanted to do. Because I will say this. Uh, We talked about Boudreaux coming back as head coach. It was going to be hard to get rid of him given that he put up like a 6'10 winning slash points percentage during his tenure in Vancouver uh, with Besser. It was hard to move on given everything that he had gone through personally and all the trials and tribulations and the fact that at one time he was the brightest light for this organization. Then with Miller, it was going to be hard to move on from a guy that gave you 99 points last year. Yeah. Right. But, you know, to sink this much time and effort and money in term 
into this like show me project. See, it seems crazy to think that that's how this whole thing is being played well, out. I, I think we can make the conclusion that this new management group has not helped the situation. They've they've they were come here. They they came here to fix it, and I think they've made it worse with their decisions. Like is that is isn't that is that a conclusion that everyone would like? I think I think the Benning era. I think Benning did a terrible job. Like I I just think he was one of the worst general managers in the NHL, right? And I had optimism uh, for Jim Rutherford, um, given he won three Stanley Cups, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a failure. Overall, I'm not saying that Patrick Alvine, who's just a, still a rookie GM, is going to be a failure overall, but I think they made it worse. I think the situation is now somehow worse under the new management group. Financially, it's hard to argue that it's not. Yeah, they're, they're, they, they, it's this sticky quagmire, cobwebs and honey and glue that they're just tangled up in with all these contracts. That, yeah. now, I mean, again, you're, just, you're, t- you're talking about like a, a free goal-scoring winger, quote-unquote goal-scoring winger giveaway. Right? Can you give away Besser? Put it this way, just to put a bow on this Besser thing, because we got to go to break. For it to have gotten to this point, which is how it played out on Saturday, with Fridge on national television saying that the agent has been granted, you know, access to go get a trade, and he's a healthy scratch, and then he's not, and the agent is liking tweets, kind of throwing shade at the Canucks. Like it's just this. It imagine, imagine how bad it has to be to get to that point publicly. Have we almost gotten used to it? Well, yeah, I was gonna say, is that sort of just like a Canucks thing at this point? Like, I've just yeah. gotten used to like just when you think it couldn't get any worse or crazier, like I somehow I, does. I had uh, I had a dinner on Saturday night, so I couldn't watch any of the ooh dinner. Okay, every time ooh. I have plans, every time I have plans, like <laughs> just regular old plans. Halford's Classic like, bruff, always eating dinner. Ooh, I mean, a garage. Yeah, I bet you had a fork <laughs> and a knife. Okay, go ahead. I uh, I had both and a little spoon. Nice. Um, the, every time like, so I, so I looked at, uh, Twitter and I, and I saw the Besser news and I didn't do a big freak out. No. Like, normally I'd yeah. go and, and like text my friend, not freak out, but like I text my friends like, what's going on here? And I was kind of like, oh yeah, the Canucks are Canucking. I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, in- insane, but nice. I see the Saturday night game has its usual share of controversy. <laughs> Yeah, Is anyone really- actually watching the hockey game? Yeah, I noticed you were awfully quiet when I was texting you about the game. Like, Bruff's not responding to me. I wonder if he's at a dinner. I will yeah. say this: we spoons. had something. Yeah, yeah, with, with, with and big ones. Oh, uh, yeah. you have a little spoon, sir. No, smaller, please. The yeah. the the Saturday night Canucks appearances on Hockey Night in Canada, entertainment wise, oh value wise, but off the ice. have been off the charts. Right, yeah. the, the on ice products terrible. Yeah, that game. Like was I felt nice. bad for everyone. Like they're like the Coyotes are on that. Why are they on Hockey Night Canada? Yeah, but even the Coyotes like, were like, we shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a fun game. <laughs> they're waving to all the fans. Like, Overtime was fun. So many of them. I, okay, I, I was in the. I was in, not to you know name drop. I was in the press box for my first game of the season. That's not name. That's not name dropping unless 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 you were in a pr- uh, someone yeah. named Press Box. <laughs> the press say. box is a person. And don't say you were in the Jim Robson because that's going to be weird. Okay, go ahead. The game was boring, but I will say I almost lost when. Investor almost scored in OT. Like at that moment, I was being very composed. I was trying to be professional. Yeah. But when that happened, I almost went nuts. And when it didn't happen, I was very sad. But that moment specifically was awesome. Uh, speaking of excitement on the other side, we can continue talking a bit about the Canucks. And we'll read some of your texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line because there are quite a few. But let's talk about the World Cup, yep. England. Yep. Let's talk a little NFL, Seahawks. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. 
Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. I didn't even know. I mean, that, uh, uh, honest to goodness, it didn't, uh, uh, in my mind, it was last night I made up my mind. When you come in and you're not on the whiteboard, it, it hurt hard and it hurt bad. And, um, obviously, when I got the call, I knew it was uh, a moment. And everything happens for a reason. I knew I needed to make the most of it. 6.34 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Ruff, Sportsnet 650. Uh, the voices you heard coming back from break there, those of uh, Vancouver Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux and Brock Besser. Uh, tough weekend for Besser, obviously. Uh, we went over most of it in the first half hour of the program. If you want to get caught up with everything, download the Hour One podcast. Download all of our podcasts, to be quite frank and honest, when they're available. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify. Uh, I should mention, you are in Hour One of Halford and Bruff. In Hour Three, which is the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to be doing a ton of giveaways. Okay, so... First and foremost, <laughs> those aforementioned Vancouver Canucks, this is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. We have two pairs, count them, two pairs of tickets to go see the Canucks and the Habs tonight. 7.30, note the start time, 7.30 Rogers Arena. That's going to go to uh, the best what we learned submission. But here's the thing. You need to add a ticket emoji to your text. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the small alternative. If you want to win a pair of tickets, we're going to be giving away two pairs to see the Canucks and Habs tonight. 730 Rogers Arena. Get a really good what we learned and what did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports and add a ticket emoji. Now, that's not all with what we learned. Here's this cool prize that we've got going on that's going to build to the end of this week. It is a chance for you to experience a rush unlike any other. You're going to be driving the Sea to Sky Highway in a supercar. A, a supercar. Su- a supercar? Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, et cetera, et cetera. Standard? I can't drive st- uh, stick. <laughs> Don't focus <laughs> That'd be a short on drive. the specifics. Let's focus on the big picture. Uh, the company is called Scenic Rush. So every day this week, we are going to pick a candidate based on what we learned submissions, to go into a grand prize draw for Friday. So it's going to be, I think, like two people, multiple hours of driving in these supercars up the Sea to Sky Highway. The, the, the grand prize package is valued at close to 1000 bucks. So if you would like to drive one of these four exotic cars, again, it's Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, and a Corvette. Three-hour trip to Squamish and back, courtesy of Scenic Rush. Not seen it crush. That's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a soda pop. Anyway, can we? Do we have to drive them on the sea to sky, or can we drive them by old ex girlfriends' houses? Or... <laughs> One, there's no we. I don't know why this became Hello. a we enterprise. <laughs> me, me. <laughs> Focus. <laughs> One. One on Homer's car. <laughs> yeah. I was driving the supercar, not bad. I, I got it up to 13 miles an hour in front of my ex-girlfriend. Soft so was... and yielding like a Nerf gun. Yeah. <laughs> is he in a Corvette? He is. Okay. Uh, so, to recap, what we learned is going to be a total tire fire today, but I imagine we'll get some good ones because there's so many prizes at the ready. If you want to get in for the Canucks tickets for tonight, you have to add a ticket emoji to what we learned. If you want to get in on the supercar Grand, P- Grand Prix rally from Squamish and back, Kernick, courtesy of Scenic Rush, add a car emoji 
hear what we learned. Again, we'll take one every single day for the Scenic Rush Tour. And then on Friday, we'll do the grand prize draw. Do we got it? Everyone good? Okay, Everyone so so there's going to be multiple emojis. in. For, it's all for what we learned, right? All, all for, for what, what we, we learned. learned. I mean, so we, are, we know that this is going to be tough. I tickets guess could, and I, car emojis. You could Tick- technically combine them, too, if you want to enter into the Canucks tickets and the yeah, Scenic sure. Rush. Why Add must, both emojis. Why must you make this more difficult? Well, so, so some guys in texting the same thing twice with different emojis. I, we yeah, it th- work. I think we can do multiple emojis. It shows added interest yeah. in the show. <laughs> The volume of text coming in. Anyway, I'm glad we got that out of the way. I'm excited okay. for the week. It's going to be a good week. Uh, we are also going to put the conversation to bed ever so slightly. I would like to discuss the 2022 FIFA World Cup from Qatar. We now have four of the final eight settled. And all due respect to everybody else right now, but I think a lot of the, a lot of the globe, Jason, a lot of the world is properly fixated on this match that's coming up on Saturday between England and... And France. Uh, France beat Poland 3-1 to one on the weekend. England beat Senegal 3-0. to nil. Uh, We were down at the Hollywood Theater for that England game, and it was very, very English. A lot of swearing. Over 500 of... people in attendance. I highly recommend checking it out. Yeah. It was a sweet atmosphere for that it, game, and a good result for the England. It was a lot of fun, and it's interesting of the teams that have gotten through to the quarterfinals. They're all the traditional powers. Yeah. The Dutch beat the Americans. Argentina beat Australia. Barely. England beat Senegal and France beat Poland. So you've got the Dutch versus Argentina, which will be a great match. And you've got England versus France. For the first time ever in the knockout stage of a World Cup, you would think that these teams somehow would find a way to play each other in the World Cup in in a big game, but so far all they've done is match up in the odd group. So I'm glad you brought that up because the early talking points are that, oh, finally, in the last two major tournaments, now the third one for England, they've actually gotten a real draw because there's been a lot of people pointing out, like England obviously went to the semifinals mm-hmm. in 2018 and then went to the finals in Euro. Like, remember, in they 20... They got easy draws in all of them. In 2018, they yeah. beat Colombia and Sweden. All due respect to both of those. And barely beat Colombia. Right. And then at the most recently uh, completed European Championships, they were in a bracket with, it was like Sweden, Ukraine, Germany, who, to be fair, was it's a- That was their power. good win. Yeah. yeah. And the, Netherlands, the other side of the draw had the France and Spain and mm-hmm. Italy and everyone else. Anyway, I think the point is, everyone has said, uh, England's World Cup really starts now. Like, they haven't yeah. been tested. And all due respect to Senegal, who put forth a pretty decent- Opening 30 minutes. Yeah, had a good start. I mean, Jordan Pickford had to make a huge save yep. early on. And then against the run of play almost, yeah. England scored. And then they just kept scoring. And Senegal was out of sorts. But the the traditional powers thing, I think, is interesting. Because we'd been talking about things like, oh, is the rest of the world catching up mm-hmm. to the heavyweights in Europe or the heavyweights in South America? And while we saw some good moments from the likes of Australia and Senegal. Um, Now is the time when, you know, like the rubber meets the road. And Uh again, the Dutch, the Argentinians, England and France are through. And the four remaining games in the round of 16, you have that. Like today we've got Japan and Croatia. Yeah. So is Croatia going to win that? We've got Brazil and South Korea. Is Brazil going to win that one? And then we've got Brazil and Croatia in the quarterfinals against each other. In the other part of the bracket, Morocco 
yep. which surprisingly won Canada's group, go up against Spain, mm-hmm. and Portugal is against Switzerland. If we have a quarterfinals that has the Dutch, Argentina, Croatia, Brazil, England, France, Spain, and Portugal, we're going to be looking at that and going, huh. All right, no Cinderella's. Yeah, the tournaments often fall one of two ways. Is either everything kind of reverts to form, meaning the traditional South American and European powers get through to all the important spots, that meaning the final eight, the final four, the final, and then the winner. Or you have a tournament like 2002 in Japan and South Korea where a couple sneak through and make serious deep runs into the tournament. Because there is a difference between getting through the group like if a lot of these countries have, and then continuing that success on. Now, oftentimes you need a draw to go in your favor. To be perfectly honest, Jason, I think when you're talking about will there be a quote-unquote surprise, it was always going to be from the back half of this schedule. Like, all due respect to the teams that played on the weekend, but I gave Australia no chance yeah, of no beating chance. Argentina. It was great that they had made it that far. I know that Charles Barkley and a lot of the American fans were talking up the Americans' chances against the Netherlands, but... Mm-hmm. It, you know, that was the only one that I thought might come to fruition and never would. Senegal, I thought they might be able to get that to penalty kicks and win that way. Yeah, Senegal against England was always going to be an uphill battle for Senegal in large part because um, they didn't have the finisher in that match. And mm-hmm. the guy that you would said would have been the finisher, Sadio Mane, was obviously knocked out of the tournament before it started. Now you're looking at it, though, and you're saying, okay, uh, this Japanese team, for example, which we're going to see in a matter of moments here, they kick off in about 17 minutes against the Croatians. Like, you want to talk about a team that has a resume going into this? Mm-hmm. In the group, they beat Spain and they beat Germany. and they So that right there is a warning shot that they didn't kind of squeeze their way through a fluky group. They didn't necessarily like scratch and claw their way in. They beat two traditional European powers, and now they've got Croatia in a match that I think if you're looking at this – from a Japanese perspective, you're mm-hmm. ha- you're okay with this sure. with this draw. Um, the one, the really interesting one for me is going to be Morocco. I think that Morocco has an opportunity here to be the flag bearer for the African region. Uh, I thought they were really good, really good in qualifying, and then really good in the group stage in what proved to be a very difficult they've, group they've, stage. They've played just solid fundamental football too yeah i mean the the canada match was a little herky-jerky and weird because of the way that they got on the board early yeah. with the borean blunder and then the own goal that they conceded but they but, haven't conceded much well they didn't give up a shot on goal to the canadians yeah. like and i know everyone thinks that canada was really in that match but the reality was it was an own goal and then hutchinson's header off the crossbar well they parked the bus against it. canada yeah because they, they allowed were, canada to come at them because they were through right yeah. so the rest of this um you know it's going to be extremely difficult for south korea to get a result against portugal and, um, you know, or sorry, Portugal against Brazil. And then Switzerland, Portugal is a battle of European countries. So, but yeah, that narrative. Portugal there, is Portugal's playing the Swiss. The Swiss. Yeah. yeah. Does yeah. he Sweden? I don't know what no, you anyway. said. Point being, um, it is kind of shaping up to what you were saying. Like if all the favorites go through, mm-hmm. you're going to have a very traditional power heavy final. But that's fine because the matchups are going to be really, really great. Now, people that listen to the show that know that Mike and I are big England supporters and some of you like that. Most of you don't like that. Um, but f- for me personally, I did not go into this World Cup with high expectations for England. Their form was off. It seemed like the Southgate, I don't want to call it magic, but it felt like it was on the verge of being a little bit stale. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And there was a lot of doubt with Gareth Southgate. For, for example, Harry Maguire has barely played this year for Manchester United. 
and has not been good. Like there's a reason why he isn't playing. He hasn't played well for England in the run up to the tournament. And yet Southgate was obviously going to choose him and obviously going to play him. And overall the results for England have been very promising. Yes, they had that dour nil-nil mm-hmm. draw against the Americans, but consider the other three matches. They smoked Iran 6-2. Mm-hmm. They really handled Wales easily, 3-0. Yeah. And then they got another 3-0 win over Senegal. And I'm almost allowing myself, well, I'm not almost, I'm allowing myself to get excited again. And I will be nervous, big-time nervous, for this game against France, the defending world champions, who have this? Who have the greatest name in soccer uh, in Mbappe? Who is also maybe one of the greatest players in the world as yeah, well. Yeah, well, I mean that's the big story here now, right? It's like you know when they said after the Senegal match, it can't, uh, England's World Cup really begins right now. Mm-hmm. They are. T- I mean, look what you just said out loud, right? Their wins came against all due respect. Yep. Iran, Wales, and Senegal. We're yep. not talking about the creme de la creme, which Mbappe. And France are, in. but they've only conceded two goals to, in, to the in, same in the ter- in yeah. And and I remember Southgate was really upset about that, mm-hmm. and they'd already taken control of that match. I think maybe they just got a little. I don't know. It may get Iran. Yeah. yeah. Um, the the big thing here is going to be can anybody, and I mean anybody on the planet, slow down Mbappe at this tournament mm-hmm. because he's now on five goals. He is the clear cut Golden Boot favorite. And the way that he's scoring, I don't know how much of the France-Poland match you watched, but um, he's hitting the ball with such venom. And guys have to give him a lot of space because they're terrified of him burning them for pace. Mm -hmm. So you'll see these fairly significant gaps where guys are almost like, I'm going to retreat a little bit in order to make sure he doesn't blow past me. But he's hitting the ball so hard that it's almost become uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't proposition. But at, at the end of the day... I mean, this is a French team that, remember, is without Nagolo Kante, Paul Pogba. They lost Benzema to be that sort of definitive number nine that Mbappe could play off. No problem. They just bring in Olivier Giroud and away that they go. So to this matchup on Saturday, uh, this is an overwhelmingly difficult test for England. They are playing, all mm-hmm. due respect to, and I've said all due respect like 15 times, but all due respect to what Brazil has done in this tournament. And, you know, the French have been the class of the tournament for me, and Mbappe's been the best player. So it's not like you just get a really traditional power. No. I think you get the best player in this tournament playing his best football. That's going to be a huge challenge well, for Kyle Walker and whoever else Southgate's going to throw at him. And if England can find a way to beat France, then people will expect England to win this tournament, which is maybe unrealistic considering Brazil could still be in the tournament and, and you know, maybe their old friend Croatia – is in the tournament, but it's going to be exciting. Uh, that much I know. I had a really good sports day yesterday. Started it off with England uh, beating Senegal very comfortably, so there was no stress mm-hmm. watching that game. There was stress for the Seahawks. And the Seahawks went down to L.A. to play a Rams team that has been decimated by injuries. The Seahawks were seven-point favorites, or at the very like- least six-and-a-half-point favorites against the Rams. Yeah. And... I was thinking, you know, I'm in a good mood about England, but if the Seahawks find a way to blow a game they should win for the second straight week, I'm going to be really upset. That Raiders game uh, last week where they lost in overtime and the Raiders gave them multiple chances to win the game and they just didn't take those opportunities, Mm -hmm. that really bugged me. Yep. 
and the Rams game was trending that way until Geno Smith Finally, really, when you think about it, uh, pulled it off with a game-winning drive, which for all that he's done for the Seahawks this season, the game-winning drive part of his game (laughs) has not been there. I know it's hilarious that we're like, now we're nitpicking when he puts together his scoring drives, but... Well, isn't that what separates the the good from the great in some ways? Well, I I agree with you, and I think that's kind of what we're finding out about Geno right now, is as they get further along and the stakes get higher and games have more and more playoff implications it's is he going to be just a really nice story or is it going to be something more than that and it was an eight yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf yesterday with 36 seconds left to play Seahawks rally 27 23 I was joking I was going to interrupt you there but it's almost like when you say the defending Super Bowl champion LA Rams you have to put an asterisk next to that because no Matt Stafford um no Aaron Donald Bobby Wagner balled out yesterday. He, he, sure he had did, a healthy yeah. game, but I mean, they were they were they, they limped into that one. The Rams they put up a good fight, but you look at this team now, and this is they've just confirmed they solidified it with that loss to the Seahawks, the first losing season on, since Sean McVay came aboard. They're not a good football team. John Wolford is not going to get it done at quarterback. But kudos to Geno right now because he threw again. I feel like sometimes we maybe take this for granted because our expectations get raised. It was like Canada at the World Cup, right? Your expectations mm-hmm. raise, it rise as you go along. Gino yesterday, 367 passing yards and three TDs. Most passing yards in his NFL career in a single game. Like That mm-hmm. is a terrific statistical performance. And if you look at it now, he is on pace to, <laughs> to throw 29 touchdowns and 4,300 yards. That's a sig- I, and, and you know I I went for the comparison last year to Russ. Mm-hmm. He threw for thirty one hundred and twenty five touchdowns. Now yeah, he missed some time with the hand injury, but the year that Smith has put forth, it's we we haven't talked about it enough. I don't think we're ever going to really appreciate just one how unbelievably unpredictable it was, <laughs> and then two how he just continued to do this mm-hmm. when quarterbacks are falling around him like crazy. Because because he's not he's not the. Um... He's not just winning games because the Seahawks have this great defense, no. right? They they don't. He's going out and winning games. He's going out there and winning games. Now, he does have a couple of really good receivers in DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett, so he's got that going for him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have a strong running game. Like, I'm talking about the team around him. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth Walker was looking good early on in the season, but overall the Seahawks have kind of struggled to run the ball. Well, he got hurt yesterday, so that's yep. going to be something to monitor watching. Sorry, going to be monitor forward is the, the ankle injury with Kenneth Walker because they also lost the services of DJ Dallas for a bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. So they were they were down to like this, this third, fourth depth quarterback, or quarterback, running backs, and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, if they're going to make a playoff push, because they're seven and five right now, back and, in a playoff spot now. Yeah, they're in seventh spot thanks to that weird tie, which actually kind of screwed the Seahawks over between the Commanders and the Giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah that didn't really help the Seahawks at all. You mm. thought that maybe splitting the, the the win, for lack of a better term, would, but it didn't. yeah. Do you remember Brady came on the show on Friday and he was <laughs> like, "Well, the good news is that somebody." will lose that Commanders-Giants game. There's Brady Henderson lying to us again. Yep. We need to talk about the injury to Jimmy G in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And here's a question for you. Okay. Um, who can take advantage of this more? Or who is in a better position to take advantage of this? The Seahawks or the Dallas Cowboys? <sighs> Great question. I think it's Dallas. I think I Dallas think. is looking at this situation right now and going, um, the 49ers 
despite the fact that they've got amazing talent mm-hmm. on both sides of the ball, now have Brock Purdy, who was Mr. Irrelevant in last year's draft. That is correct. Meaning he was the last pick in the NFL draft. He's now the starting quarterback for a San Francisco 49ers team that had, have, have, uh, or I don't know if it's past past tense or still present tense, Super Bowl aspirations. Yeah. I've said multiple times on this show that I believe the best teams in the NFC are Dallas and San Francisco. Yep. Now I think it's clear that if the Cowboys are going to get to a Super Bowl, it's going to be this year. And I realize there are some Eagles fans watching. Um, I believe more in the Dallas Cowboys and their overall team mm-hmm. than I do in the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think they must be looking at the situation in the NFC right now and going, man, we better at least get to the Super Bowl this year. With respect to your question, uh, I think the Seahawks are going to get the most immediate dividends from this development in San Fran because they've got the 49ers in two weeks' time. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Ne- winning the division is now back on the yeah, table, right? Because I, I don't like all due respect to Brock Purdy, the seventh round draft pick who made his, who came in again. After Jimmy G. So consider the Jimmy G story arc this season is he gets supplanted by Trey Lance as the starting quarterback in San Fran. It looks as though he's going to be traded out of town. Kyle Shanahan at the last minute is like, you know what? Let's just keep let's just hold on to him. Let's see if we can keep him around as an insurance policy. Sure enough, right at the beginning of the season, Lance gets hurt. Garoppolo goes in. Don't forget for as maligned as Jimmy has been. During his time in San Francisco, this is a guy that took him on a deep playoff run last year. And you know what yesterday was for the San Francisco 49ers? Their fifth consecutive victory, right? I know Brock Purdy came in yeah. and closed the deal, but Garoppolo was winning football games, right? They had gotten back to that 8-4 and four mark in large part because of Jimmy G and what he was doing under center. I, think, I know that a lot of 49ers fans and media are trying to say, well, this wasn't really a quarterback-driven offense to begin with, so we can plug in Brock Purdy. My answer to that is, like, you're nuts, right? <laughs> you are crazy if you think you're going anywhere with this kid at quarterback because once they get yeah, – it's unfair to him. Once, they get, once you get a week or two of tape on this guy, it's going to be a disaster. Like, you know that new car smell, that new bump that the Colts got yeah. when Jeff Saturday took over and they won his first game? Did you see what happened yesterday on Sunday Night Football? Yeah, the the, the Cowboys destroyed. They them. got absolutely yeah. embarrassed. And I remember talking to a couple of different NFL pundits, and we're going to talk to Nick Shook in a minute here from NFL.com, and they said, look, Saturday will come in, and you'll get that new car, new coach, dead cat, whatever you want to call it, bounce. But then the rest of the league plays catch-up, and they start to see what you've done, or more specifically, what you don't do. And they scheme against you. And, I mean, that was an embarrassment for Saturday and the Colts yesterday. Imagine this poor Brock Purdy kid who's got to go in there and take a team with Super Bowl aspirations. He wasn't supposed to see the field this year. Yeah. I'm not sure he's supposed to see the field ever. He ever. was the third-string quarterback. And now he's thrust into this situation. So, I'm, I'm, you know, they got two weeks' time. The Seahawks are going to see him with a lot more film uh, that they can digest and go through. And I'll be very curious to see how the NFC West shakes out from there. Uh, we have more NFL talk to come on the other side. Nick Shook, our Monday morning quarterback, brought to you by the Clayton Public House, is going to join us. Uh, we'll wh- whip around all the big stories 
in the NFL. Deshaun Watson made his return. Lamar Jackson suffered a knee injury. Huge win for Joe Burrow and the Bengals over the Chiefs, and we can talk about that Cowboys game on Sunday Night Football as well. Also, we're getting closer and closer to kickoff uh, from Qatar. The round of 16 match between Japan and Croatia is going to get underway in just a little bit. So on the other side, we'll do a certain teed soccer report. We have a lot more to get to. There's two hours left on the program, so don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.